Glory to God in the highest. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, we do rejoice, even as we behold this mystery of the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Heavenly Father, we know our own hearts. We know how sinful we are, how undeserving we are. We know not only how sinful we are, but how easy it is for the remarkable, for the marvelous, to become ordained and old to us. So, Heavenly Father, even as we look at this well-known, much-loved passage, we pray that we would see it with new eyes, that we would see the glory of God proclaimed in the highest, that we would marvel at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on flesh for us. May the glory of God shine forth in this place. May you be honored in all that is said and done. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I've spoken often of an opportunity that I had uh, in 2010 to go to Israel with my grandparents. If you're ever able to visit Israel uh, on your own, you will probably speak often of it as well. It's something that you will, uh, it's an experience that will encourage your faith and refresh your soul. But what was unique about our trip was that it was in December and it was planned so that we actually were in Bethlehem on Christmas Day. And I remember it vividly. It's one of those moments that I'll never forget. On Christmas Day, we didn't wake up early and run downstairs to open presents. Instead, we woke up early, we got on our bus on Christmas morning, and we drove out to the edge of Bethlehem to an empty field that overlooked an area where it is likely that the shepherds of Luke 2 found themselves on a December night 2,000 years ago. And we sat there in the early morning as the light was chasing away the dark and as he overlooked this plane before us, one of our tour guide, one of, our, uh, one of the, our, our tour leaders got out his Bible and he read this passage in Luke 2 where heaven opens up and the angels proclaim the good news of Jesus' birth to the shepherd. It's a moment that I will never forget, sitting there on that field, overlooking that area, looking up at the sky and just thinking, this sky was filled with the glory of God. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to that very passage here in Luke 2. Luke 2, 8 to 20. It's a well-known passage. It's a much-beloved passage. And it tells one of the most important stories that the world has ever known. This morning, as we work our way through this passage, we'll be reminded of the message, the song, and the story. First thing we see in verses 8 to 12 is the message. The message. Now there were in the same country. So we come to Luke 2, verse 8. The first seven verses, I'm going to read them here for you. It's another well-known passage that sets up this passage. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This census first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. The same country in which we find ourselves this morning here in Luke 2 is in Judea. It is Bethlehem, the city of David. And out in this country, there are shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. This angel comes to shepherds. This good news is not first proclaimed to a priest. It's not proclaimed first in the temple. It's not proclaimed first in the halls of the palace or of any social or anyone of any social or religious importance is proclaimed first to shepherds in the field. What's the importance of that? What is the significance of these shepherds? It's not necessarily that they were the outcasts of society. They weren't necessarily outcasts. There were lots of famous shepherds in Israel's history, including um, Moses and uh, David and Abraham. But a shepherd was someone, but there was nothing, there was nothing special about them. They were an every man. If this message was for a shepherd, this message was for anybody. These shepherds are faithfully out, watching their sheep, living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. These shepherds are out being faithful to what they have been called to. They're out in these fields, likely forgotten by society as everyone else has gone to bed. Yet they are faithfully doing what they've been called to. And an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Have you ever been woken up by someone just turning on the light? They walk into a room, you've been asleep, and they flip on the light. And it kind of hurts your eyes, it shocks you, it wakes you up. It takes you a second to recognize what in the world is going on here. My mom used to do that in the morning, getting us ready for school. She'd give us one or two warnings, and then that light went on. It was not a fun way to wake up. That's kind of how I picture these shepherds out in this field. They're sitting there. Maybe they're sitting around a fire. They're talking. They've got their eye on the sheep. And then all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord shone around them. How shocking this must have been. 
as the sky lit up. In fact, we see that in the fact that they were greatly afraid. They are terrified as the glory of the Lord shines around them. And there's an angel that is standing before them, an angel of the Lord from the very presence of God himself. The angel says to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I'm not here to do you harm. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I bring you good tidings. The idea there is literally good news. I bring you good news that will mean joy. And joy not just to you, but joy to the world. Joy to the world. Good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. If you're like me, your mind immediately goes back to Genesis 12, 3. To God's promise to Abraham, through you all the world will be blessed. This is good news for you shepherds. And this is good news for all people. But what is this good news? What is this good news that brings such joy? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. It's interesting here that he's not primarily identified as a king. The angel doesn't say, there is born to you this day in the city of David a king. He says, there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior. That is what your most basic need is. That is what you need. There is born to you a savior. Who is this savior? Who is this Savior? It is Christ the Lord. Those two names there, Christ, it's the general idea of Messiah or anointed one. And the Lord is authority. It is master. It is God. We see here, even in this statement, there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior. Who is this Savior? It is the promised one, and it is God. Jim, this morning in Sunday school, did an excellent job of walking us through the Old Testament. In fact, if you missed it, if you were not here for Sunday school, I'd encourage you to get his notes. Uh, it was an excellent job walking us through the Old Testament, looking at all of these promises, looking at all of this development of what God has promised. And he mentioned how Part of the problem when Jesus came, part of the reason they didn't know him was all of these traditions that they had. And all of these traditions that they had came from the fact that they're, they're studying the Bible and they see these, these two contradictions. Who is this Messiah, this promised one, going to be? There's passages that say he's going to be a suffering servant. And there's passages that say he's going to be a conquering king. There's passages that he's going to say he's going to be a great man. And there's passages that say he's going to be God himself. How can we reconcile this? What will this look like? And yet right here, even in this announcement by this angel, we see Christ, this Messiah, he is born, he is man, 
as the Old Testament predicted. So, So there, now we have the answer. This promised one is man, but it doesn't stop there. He's not just born Christ, he is also the Lord. He is fully man, and he is fully God. We struggle to wrap our minds around this. I mean, just think of the, what we even just read. Christ the Lord is born. God is born. What a shocking revelation. This is the message. This is the good news that brings joy to all people. That a Savior is born. Because all people need a Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Promised One and God Himself. The angel also gives a sign. This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What an odd circumstance in which to find such a glorious baby. What oddly specific instructions here. He's a savior. He is Christ the Lord. He is born. Surely he's in a palace. Surely he's in a house. Surely he's, he's comfortable. But no, you will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. On September 14, 2001, just three days after the World Trade Centers had collapsed and the deadliest terrorist attack on U.S. soil, President George W. Bush personally visited the site. And as he stood amidst the rubble of the World Trade Centers with his arm around a fireman, speaking through a bullhorn, he delivered one of his most famous speeches. As he tried his best to speak over the noise of the city and the large crowd, it was hard for people to hear him, and someone yelled out, We can't hear you! To which President Bush, without even a pause, responded, But I hear you. I can hear you. The world hears you. And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. It was a message to which the crowd just erupted. And applause. This message was important enough for the president to deliver himself. He didn't send an aide. He didn't send a representative from Congress. But he delivered it himself to firemen and policemen and construction workers and normal citizens from all walks of life. And his message was this, that I, the President of the United States of America, I see you, I hear you, I care about you. In a similar vein, here in Luke 2, 8-12, the focus is on the recipients of this good news. This message is a message that is important enough to be personally delivered by an angel of the Lord. But it's not a message that is just for the powerful or the important. It is not a message that is just for the rich or the talented. This message is of good news for all people. 
You see that all throughout these verses. It is delivered to shepherds. A representative of everyone. And it is a message of good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. It is for simple shepherds faithfully keeping their flock at night. Forgotten by everyone else who has settled into their homes for the night but seen by God. And it is for you and it is for me. Maybe even as we consider this, as you, as you think about the fact, this message of this angel there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Maybe as you meditate on the incarnation, as you think about the fact that this is Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe you don't feel worthy. Maybe you don't feel good enough. Maybe you don't feel special enough. And brothers and sisters, that's the point. You're not. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You're not special enough. Jesus didn't come because you deserve him. He came because he sees you. He knows you. And he loves you. He came as a savior for evil, even simple shepherds. He came as a savior for you and for me. That's what you see in these first Several verses, verses 8 to verse 12. The recipients of this message. It is to shepherds. It is for everyone. Secondly, we see the song. The song. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. I love that, that word, and suddenly. In my mind, I, I can almost picture it. There's this bright light as the heavens are lit up as this the field is filled with the glory of God as this angel stands before them. And you can almost picture the other angels just standing there. Just, they, they cannot wait to burst out in song. And then finally it comes and immediately and suddenly there's, there's no pause. Now's the time. Praise the Lord. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. A multitude, a massive group beyond numbering of the heavenly hosts. One commentator noted that that language, the language of a host, of a heavenly host, it is military language. This is a host of angels. But this military this group of soldiers don't come to attack. They come with a message of peace. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I mean, how this light must have been blinding, this sound must have been deafening. I find it interesting, too, that the, as the angels sang at the dawn of creation, so now, once again, the angels sing at the dawn of the new creation, the firstborn of the new creation, the dawning of salvation. Glory to God in the highest. 
and on earth peace, good will toward men. In this moment, heaven's song is of God's redemption of man. Glory to God in the highest, because he has brought peace to earth and goodwill towards men. That language of goodwill It is uh, God's good will towards man. God didn't send an executioner. He brought, sent a savior. The incarnation displays God's kindness towards men. If you look up the word goodwill, that's the, that's the meaning of that word. A show of kindness towards. This savior brings peace on earth. Peace in a couple senses. Immediately, Peace with God by forgiveness of sin, by faith in Jesus Christ. And then eventually, true peace on earth in Christ's reign. As this suffering servant will be a conquering king. Peace on earth and this sign of God's goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. I doubt there was much debate here. I doubt there was anyone that was like, no, let's, let's just stay here for the night. They said to one another, let us go now. Let us now go. And see this thing that has come to pass. Notice also their language of, let us see this thing that has come to pass, not let us see if this thing is coming to pass. Let us, not, not if this thing will happen, but in faith it has happened. Let us see what God has done, not if God has done this. This thing which the Lord has made known to us. Let us now go to Bethlehem. These shepherds are likely a few miles outside of town. And all they know is that they are looking for a manger. And yet they go. They go, even if it means that they have to knock on every single barn in Bethlehem. Because it's worth it to see this baby. And they came with haste. I imagine that's somewhat of an understatement. They came with haste. I mean, they came now, immediately. They are in a hurry. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Just as promised. They found what God promised, what the angels proclaimed. Finally, you see the story. Or before we get there, I'm sorry. For most of my college years, Chris and I dated long distance. As I attended school in South Carolina, and Krista lived and worked here in Iowa. And one of the highlights of my semester was getting a package or a uh, letter in the mail from Krista. As soon as I would get an email telling me that a package had arrived for me, I would book it over to the post office there on Bob Jones University. There was nothing that would get in my way or keep me from getting that package. I never had the thought, you know, I'll just, I'll wait and I'll get it tomorrow after breakfast or 
You know, let, let me finish my homework first, and then I'll go get this letter. It became the most pressing need in my life. In fact, it would have been kind of weird if I would have ignored it or put it off. I had received good news, a package from the woman that I love, and nothing could keep me from it. Here in Luke 2, 13-16, an army of angels brings a message of peace. And there was only one right response to this glorious news. And the shepherds don't wait till morning after a good night's sleep to go to Bethlehem. They don't first run to the spring to clean themselves up before presenting themselves to this newborn baby. They run straight to Bethlehem with haste. And they find exactly what the angels sang of, what God has promised. You come to verses 17 to 20. The story. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them coming this, concerning this child. When they had seen him. What, what a meaning this must have been. How, how shocking it must have been to Mary and Joseph as a group of shepherds knock on the door. Hey, is there a baby lying in a manger here? The sky just lit up and an angel told us who this baby is. I imagine not only was it a shock to Mary and Joseph, it was probably somewhat of a comfort to Mary and Joseph. These shepherds had witnessed the glory of the Lord in the night sky, and now they witnessed the glory of the Lord veiled in humble human form as they see him, their Savior. As expected, I mean, what other response is there than what they give here? They made a widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. I mean, would you expect anything else? They made widely known. They did not keep it to themselves. They could not keep it to themselves. This was not something that, that oh, by the way, I almost forgot to tell you. Guess what happened last night? This was not something they, they tacked on to the end of their conversation. This was just bursting out of them. Guess what we have seen? What God has said, what God has done. Let me tell you about this baby. Let me take you to him. It is not of the light or the song that they tell. It is of Jesus. They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. This is Christ the Lord. This is my Savior. This is your Savior. This is the one long foretold and longed for and waited for. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. See, here we see another response. A second response. Those who marvel. The shepherds make it widely known. The crowds who hear marvel. This is unbelievable. How can this be possible? The language here, the language of marvel, does not 
uh, indicate faith necessarily. It's more just a broad interest. Wow. Could this be? They marveled at what they heard. Then you see another response in verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I don't think this is a rebuke of Mary or a statement on Mary's faith as if she is unconvinced. We know from her Magnificat that Mary believes. Rather, it's merely an observation of Mary's unique role and perspective in all of this. I mean, how much Mary must have had to ponder. It was a little over nine months prior that Gabriel had first shown up with the good news for Mary. And now she finds herself in a barn with her baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, rejoicing with strangers, shepherds that she doesn't know. In a city that she's not from. This isn't home. But as she rejoices with strangers in a strange city, she rejoices in the Lord. She ponders what he has done. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. Notice there they returned. They faithfully go back, but they don't go back the same. They return to their flocks, but they return glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. And note these last few words, as it was told them. The sign that the angel gave is exactly what they found. Because God is faithful. And what he says, he does. This year, the boys, we signed Clinton and Judah up to play basketball. And they absolutely loved it. Throughout the season, almost the whole family was able to come and to watch Clinton and Judah play. Even some of their friends from school came to one of the games. In fact, one game, so many people showed up to cheer on the boys that after the game, Clinton told Krista, Mom, I felt famous. But one of the things that you'll quickly notice in a, in a, at a basketball game or at any sporting event is the different responses that people have, right? Some people are, are loud, but they're loud in a way that kind of gets everyone around them excited too. Some people are just downright loud and obnoxious. Some people are quietly cheering on their kid, you know, holding up the two thumbs up. Some people could care less. They're just on their phone or as you're trying to watch the game, they're just trying to talk to you about everything going on in their life and I just want to watch a basketball game. People respond in different ways. And I think we see that same reality here in Luke 2, 17 to 20. Three distinct responses to one message of great joy. The shepherds rejoice. Many simply marvel and Mary ponders. And as we come to the end of this passage this morning, the question is, how will you respond to this good news? Is this merely just something interesting, something that you will marvel at? 
huh, that's interesting. Could that be? That is crazy. Will you merely marvel at the truth of the gospel from the outside, or will you accept it? Will you believe that this baby is your Savior? That he died on the cross for your sin? That he rose again victorious, and he offers you life if you will just believe? Will you keep it to yourself? Or will you proclaim it with great joy? How will you respond to Jesus? See, 2,000 years does not diminish the shock or the significance of the angel's message. There is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And you need that Savior just as much as as those shepherds did. And I would encourage you, as we go through this Christmas season, if you have never placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation, to, yes, marvel at what God has done, but don't stop there at marveling. Let that marveling lead you to belief. See it, marvel at it, and accept it. This is your Savior. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I would would challenge you to pause from the busyness of Christmas and just to meditate on the miracle of Christmas, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. I would encourage you, even as Jim this morning walked us through these passages in the Old Testament, if you didn't write those down, get Jim's notes, and maybe even in the next two weeks leading up to Christmas, read through those passages. And then go and read through Luke 2, 1, 2, and 3. And see how each one of those came to pass. How your faithful God fulfills his word. Marvel at Emmanuel, God with us. Glory to God in the highest. Jesus came for you. Believe and rejoice.